Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staple Show, presented by Sling. I know I said I'd be back together with Ari for the Friday show, but unfortunately, Ari on assignment in Nashville, talking to a bunch of folks who handle recruiting for schools all across the country, and so he's, he's getting some stories, he's getting some tips, he's getting all the hot scoop, and he's going to come back with a full report, I promise. But this gives us a chance to play an interview that is near and dear to my heart. This is a guy I've known for a while, and we've watched him kind of rocket to superstardom on the SEC Network and ESPN. Cole Kublik, former Auburn offensive lineman. We're going to talk to Cole about offensive line play and about TV finally embracing the folks in the trenches in terms of people talking about the game when they get hired to, to be on TV talking about the game, and also just giving you a better understanding of what's going on in the trenches during the games. Because I think that is one of the things that is, has been one of the happiest developments in college football television over the last, I would say, four or five years, is there, it really feels like they're taking you deeper inside the game, and they are telling you what's going on in the offensive and defensive lines where... Let's be honest, that's where the real action's happening, and that's where the most important stuff usually is going on. So we're going to talk to Cole about that. He's going to explain how he got where he is and, and how he wound up on TV, uh, having Jordan Rogers as a broadcast partner, which, you know, for, for those, and again, remember, I'm not one of the people at The Athletic who watches The Bachelor and The Bachelorette religiously. I don't watch it at all. All my coworkers do, though. So they, they view Jordan Rodgers very differently. Like, I view Jordan as the guy who played quarterback at Vanderbilt, who just very obsessively breaks down QB play in the SEC for his job at the SEC Network. That's not how most of my coworkers view him. But they, if they saw him, it would be like the Beatles running down the street, the, the, them running after him, because he is obviously a superstar in the world of The Bachelorette. He won the show, and... They just got married this past summer. I know, I know from what I'm told, those relationships don't usually land in successful marriages, but it sounds like this one's going to work. So that's pretty amazing. And, and Cole has some funny stories about what it's like to be on the, the other end of that, being, being the guy next to someone who is a superstar, not necessarily in the world of college football. But Cole's a lot of fun. And obviously, Cole's an Auburn grad. And so... Very interesting situation at Auburn this year. Uh, we talked a lot on the show about what happened with Brian Harson in late January, early February, where there was essentially a coup attempt where they tried to fire him for free. They cooked up an investigation, didn't actually find anything. And he ends up surviving with his job, at least for now. And got up at SEC Media Day, said that, you know, some people tried something and it didn't work. But he now enters a season where... 
success means you've got to have good games. You've got to win games against, listen to this list of coaches that Brian Harson is going to be up against that, that he needs to succeed against. James Franklin, Brian Kelly, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be a very difficult year. But we're going to start a new segment on the show, and it's called What to Watch For, and it's presented by Sling. My what to watch for for this week, though, is the Auburn quarterback competition because Brian Harson has a very interesting competition on his hands between two guys who played for other SEC schools first and are now playing for Auburn. You saw TJ Finley at Auburn last year. He's the one who replaced Bo Nix when Nix got hurt. But TJ Finley originally started at LSU. He's competing for the job against Zach Calzada. Zach Calzada, you remember, replaced Haynes King at Texas A&M when King got hurt against Colorado and wound up being the Aggie starter for the rest of the year, including in that win against Alabama. Now, Calzada was gutting it out through injuries all year. One of the weird, weird coincidences of the transfer portal is that Calzada, who transferred to Auburn after the season, wasn't available to Auburn during the spring because he was recovering from shoulder surgery because of an injury he sustained playing against Auburn. That competition, though, will be very interesting. It'll go a long way toward probably deciding whether Brian Harson is Auburn's coach next year. Uh, We know about Tank Bigsby. He's obviously a fantastic back. They're going to feature the run game, but they've got to get something out of the passing game. And so is it going to be TJ Finley? Is it going to be Zach Calzada? TJ Finley last week opened a store on Amazon. He was, I believe, the first college athlete to have an NIL deal with Amazon. So he's got his own store on Amazon now where you can get TJ Finley branded merchandise. He's also got a partner shirt that I, I do love. It says, uh, it says lineman, and it's got a picture of a lineman in three-point stance because quarterbacks need heroes too, and he's wearing that in the ad. So I, I do appreciate TJ Finley for that, but you know he's got some TJ Finley-branded T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, pop sockets, you know, the little thing that goes on the back of your phone, phone covers. I, I don't know how many TJ Finley pop sockets he's going to sell at $14.99 a pop if he doesn't win the starting job at Auburn. So this is... There's, there's big business going on here as well, but I am fascinated to see who winds up winning that job. Is it Calzada? Is it Finley? It, it's sort of a just a telling thing about the age of the transfer portal where you've got a guy who started at LSU and a guy who started at Texas A&M now competing to be the starting quarterback at Auburn. And that is what to watch for this week presented by Sling TV. Go to sling.com for special offers. It's, listen, it's all you need to watch college football, and it starts at just 35 bucks a month. So go to sling.com, check it out. And now it's time to hear from a guy whose job was never in doubt at Auburn, except for that year where they, they went through like six centers. Cole Kublik joins the show. Cole, Cole Kublik joining us. You, you see him on ESPN, on the SEC Network. You hear him on WJOX with, uh, with Greg McElroy, where he constantly makes fun of how little work quarterbacks do at practice relative to offensive linemen. Fair though, right? So you heard my assessment. Totally fair. Yeah, totally okay. fair. And and I, Greg took umbrage with you mentioning the specialists. But I don't I, I, I had no problem with that because they do play PlayStation on yes. the Jumbotron. They do try to kick footballs into garbage cans. They they're basically inventing ways to pass the time while 
you guys are doing the drills. I think he was just saying, why are you even paying attention to them? Which, that's easy coming from someone who all he does is throw a football. Because you wish you could do anything other than working on games over and over and over. Like I said, with the the coach standing behind the the, the offensive lineman, looking at the scrub offensive lineman. Do it, yes. If you're watching the YouTube, you're seeing me and Cole just... We look like the maestro, the, the maestro here. Yep. But that's what, yeah. He points at you, then he points where you're going to go. He does the wiggle. Yeah. Loop. And of course, and then another wiggle. Loop. And of course, like in in my case, I'm a bad offensive lineman, so I'm I'm going to be the worst possible demonstration of a defensive lineman stunting. But whatever. I think he was just he you know he kind of went with why are you even paying attention to them and like we, like what you were saying, especially towards the end of two days, which are not a real thing anymore. Right. Or just late in the season, you, you want to be on the video tower. You want to be an athletic trainer. You want to be an equipment guy that's like putting the cones out or whatever. You want to be like, a butterfly flying over the fence. Give me like, any job other than having to go through the shoots and push the sled again, which is just misery. The shoots are, are one of those just unique things that the rest of the sport doesn't get. No idea. And, and now D Lyman understand them, obviously. But it. Imagine, I, I try to explain this, like imagine someone created a torture device. It's really, it's, 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 you're trying to correct behaviors and the behavior you're trying to correct is getting too high. Sure. And what better way to correct you from getting too high than to have an iron pipe that hits you in the head yeah. when you get too high. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of helmets clang on, <laughs> on the shoots and it's not a good feeling. I've done it before. Uh, I don't really know. When you said that, I was thinking, okay, what other sport and activity in another sport can we compare this to? There is none. No. There, there's no, there's Maybe nothing. Maybe in boxing Maybe. when they start whacking the guy in the stomach. Well, they have a rope the and you, go, you duck up and under yeah. the rope to work on your defense. But when they start whacking the guy in the stomach to simulate body blows. Okay. That, Maybe that's, that's it. Yeah, a little bit fair. Uh, like Maybe I, I've never wrestled. Like as in Greco-Roman wrestling, I, I, I can wrestled imagine in they high would school. have some drills the, that oh, they, the, would be uncomfortable. They're way worse. I, oh, yeah. I would say I wrestled in high school. I can't even imagine what college wrestlers go through at practice. Uh-uh. Because, I mean, in high school, they were making us, you take someone of similar weight, and, and you have to carry them on your back up the <laughs> stairs. Like, that, that's just a basic it's drill insane. that they do. Yeah. So, yeah, wrestlers uh, I was, are, I was, are um, nuts. I was too fat to wear the singlet. I was embarrassed. And so that was that was number one. And then number two, when my friends that wrestled would tell me about all the conditioning. Oh, yeah. I just literally said to myself, I wasn't made for this. So my offensive line coach in high school was the wrestling coach. And he said, you're coming out for wrestling. And I said, mm. I, I think I have a newspaper club or something. And he's like, no, you're coming out for wrestling. <laughs> and so the first practice I'm out there, they got us on the track and we run a mile and then they have us do all these sprints and I'm just dying. So 45 minutes later, we're, 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 we're done on the track and we start walking away from the track. And I look at the other guy, I'm like, that wasn't so bad. He's like, practice hasn't started yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> I yeah. was like, what? Well, that's kind of the Jimbo story I gave Greg the other day. Because everybody hears walkthroughs, and they're like, oh, those must be easy. So, like, not when it's three hours before practice begins. Like, right. okay, we got to walk through at one fifteen, and you look at the schedule again. Flex is at 3.45? What are we doing? And you're going out there just walking through plays. Yes, you're walking through them. But then, as offensive linemen, we're in our stance, and they decide they want to go coach somebody up. Yes. They just leave us in our stance <laughs> for seven minutes. It was like, my quads are burning. My legs are trembling. I'm you're profusely this is, sweating from this just is where sitting I thank in a God every day stance. for Steve Spurrier. Because that yeah. didn't happen under Steve Spurrier, because it'll all work out. You block him. We'll figure it out. Danny, yeah. Danny will figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so oh my God. So 
the the thing I love about you, Cole, is you've you've brought the offensive line sensibility to the TV broadcast. That's you 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 were when you were doing sidelines, you are watching the guys in the trenches. You are actually, you know, a, analyzing it in real time, which is very hard to do at field level, by the way. And what what I like about the the crew you have with Tom Hart and, and Another and guy. Jordan Rogers, you you are part of this booth, even right. though you're not in the booth. Yeah, and so how how hard did you have to work to get people to say, okay, you can talk as much about the O line as you want to? Um, it wasn't a lot of work, and it, and there was a lot that went into it. I don't know if I'd call it work. Um, you know, I think Lugan Bill was the first one that ever did it. He mm-hmm. was kind of the he was the litmus test for this thing. And then Rocky Boyman did it for a little while. McShay does it in a little bit of a different they, way. Uh, Luganville and McShay are more from a scouting perspective, right. it feels like. yeah. And, you know, it's kind of morphed into, well, now I think Luganville and I are the only two left because Boyman's in the booth yeah. and Roddy Jones is in the booth now. Um, you know, it's I've worked with guys that didn't necessarily like it. They didn't like me interjecting, talking in between plays. One advantage that I think I had or we had as a group is you know Jordan's second year calling games is when we were all put together. Mm-hmm. He did a little patchwork schedule the year before. So he was some new. SEC Network yeah. Plus games, right? So he had done it, but he didn't really. He hadn't done it for ten years. Where he's like, no, 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 don't mess with how I do this. And and there were a couple of games early on where you could tell he was surprised that I would jump in, or yeah. he really had something he wanted to get to. We both did, but now I think he has an appreciation for. Hey, I'm not watching that. So if something cool happens there, let him talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Because it might be cooler than what I saw the safety do when he went and made that tackle or knocked that pass down, and vice versa. If I know something that happened on the back end that's going to be – he really needs to discuss, I'm going to let him do that. So it's – and I give a lot of credit to him. I've done games with McElroy. He's the same. He loves having the sideline analysts say things. So and Jordan and he's not the only one. Tom will intentionally weave me in occasionally. Yeah. Um, I've had some good producers. Bill Palladino does our games now. He mm-hmm. does a great job. Of, if I get in his ear really quick, I'll be like, hey, Trey Smith just killed this guy. He'll yeah. be like, all right, Cole's got to come in. Well, see, and, and that's good because I want to see the replay of that. Even, Absolutely. even if we don't hear from you, the fact that the, the, the broadcast cuts to the replay – watch Trey Smith right. maul this guy, and you understand better what happened in the game. Well, that's one thing I had to learn, Andy, was that I can help, and I, I actually think, and you'll understand this completely, being an offensive lineman helped me with this role. There are a lot of instances, and I, it took me a while to learn this, that I can help our broadcast, but no one knows I'm there. Right. So I can, I can just quickly, in talkback, say, Billy left tackle. Right. And sometimes he'll tell Jordan. Sometimes he won't. But sometimes he'll tell Tom, and Tom will say, oh, and watch the left tackle on this play. Knowing damn well Tom's not watching the left tackle, (laughs) but it allows the viewer to be able to go see it. So I give so much credit to those two guys for the synergy. We are friends, first and foremost. Yeah, you guys get along. Because a lot of times it's it's, – sometimes it's faked or sometimes two people like each other and and one person is sort of the odd person out. But you guys – get along better than any broadcast crew I think I've ever seen. Now we, um, when they come to Birmingham, Tom comes to my house. Jordan was at the house. Last year, Jordan, at media days, I think we got to tonight, the last night, yeah. and we were walking out, and he said, hey, man, I don't have anything to do tonight. Can I just come to the house and hang out with you and your wife and the kids? I there just, you go. I just don't want to be around any of this. And I, It was funny because I said, well, just so you know, we have neighborhood soccer tonight. <laughs> and so you got to come. 
the literal soccer moms are going to be there. Oh, yeah. So and, and I will try to hide you, but that probably won't happen. For, for those who aren't members, like, I remember, I'm the only person at The Athletic who doesn't watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette religiously. <laughs> Jordan Rogers was on the show. He, he is one of the successful pairings. Yes. From the, they are married now. Won and the show? Do you say won? I, I, he definitely won the show. He I definitely mean, won. Yeah. yeah. JoJo's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I can imagine it is like Beatlemania if Jordan Rogers shows up at We hit him in soccer. the back corner of the soccer field. Our neighborhood soccer league is there's literally probably a 30 by 20 foot grass area in between some houses. And to avoid the, the big to do about organized soccer, you know, we kind of go over there and have these little organized games that we play. I'm going to help you there. There you go. And... We just put it together so the kids don't have to do everything all crazy. And so it was actually interesting that night because more dads came up to him than moms did. Really? Asking questions about football. Best part of that story is there was a guy in our neighborhood that I had never met. And two weeks ago, there was like a neighborhood barbecue. And I went and he came up and he's like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Went to Georgia. Love your analysis. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool. And the only reason I remembered him is because he's like 6'8". Yeah. So we're at the soccer game. And I'm kind of watching out of the corner of my eye, and he's making his way towards Jordan. I was like, oh, here we go. This guy's going to bother him. And I hear him introduce himself. He's like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Went to Vandy. Nice to meet you. Go doors. And I was like, now wait a damn second. Oh. I know good and well. You told me you we went to Georgia last week. Here? He graduate degree from Vanderbilt. Very yeah. nice. So I was like, okay, I'll allow that. But for a minute, I was really <laughs> thinking, this guy's lying about attending Vanderbilt. But why, like, yeah, well, but why would he lie about say? Why would he say he went to Georgia Right. right. Well, when you say he went to Auburn for you, it is, it is point. very yeah. interesting. But no, that's, well, that's the thing. You got a successful southern neighborhood. Yep. You, got, you got a Vandy degree in there. That's, <laughs> you got to, you're bound to have one. Absolutely. Well, that's what, like living in a college town like I do, you see a lot of flags in the neighborhood because oh, yeah. all these professors went to like eight different schools. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I always laugh when I'm dropping the kids off at school and I'll see somebody that's got like the, they've got the three stickers on their car, one for the undergrad, one for the grad, and one for the Love PhD. It. So instead of the little family <laughs> stick man, they have yeah, like the school the, stick yeah, man. It, it, yeah. it, it'll, be, it'll be like Cornell, Johns Hopkins. Right. And I'm like, wow, I'm stupid. We have an failure. Iowa <laughs> and an App State flag in my neighborhood that's always out. And I've had to, my kids have asked me, Daddy, what is that? Because we talk school logos. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, Iowa's Big Ten. App State, it's up in North Carolina, and so they're just kind of like, what, why? Because they only see one. Oh, yeah. Every Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Alabama, they see thousands. You go to App State. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. And not have to deal with the humidity that we do in the SEC. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So it is, it is amazing to me how, how this is morphed because I, I, I feel like you've brought the O-line into the consciousness now. And one thing that's happening in the sport at large is it used to be that O-line coaches couldn't become head coaches. They got yeah, pigeonholed never. and, oh, you, you deal with your five guys and I don't care about anybody else. But you're seeing now with Mario Cristobal, with Sam Pittman, I guess Kirk Ferentz is kind of the OG in, sure, in college yeah. football. Mm-hmm. But it feels, you know, Jeff Grimes, uh, for, former Auburn O-line coach, yep. now the OC mm-hmm. at Baylor, he feels like he's in line for, for something at some point down the road. App uh, State, Georgia State. Yep. Uh, Memphis. Yep. Ryan Silverfield. Silverfield's so, O-line coach. It feels like there's more to that. And I do wonder, has, has something changed in terms of the personalities of, of those guys where they, they start thinking more globally? Or is it people just saying, you know what, these guys know what they're doing and they coach the biggest position group. Right. Perhaps maybe they know how to deal with a lot of personalities. I think that there are – football, will, to me, will always be inside out. Yeah. And so I think that there are more folks that are taking that knowledge – and then extending it to not just being an O-line coach, but yeah. being a run game coordinator, then an offensive coordinator. And then you think about the way that you have to recruit as an offensive line coach. Um, you, get, you have to recruit more different personalities, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because you need different type guys. Oh, so yeah. it's a receiver. Give me hands. Give me 4-4. Give me a guy that can run routes. We'll figure the rest of it out. Right. It doesn't really work that way with offensive line. You got to have the right mentality, the right personality. And so I think that helps them grow as recruiters. And then I think the knowledge, nobody ever goes back to the offensive line. So if you coach offensive line, you'll branch out to maybe be an offensive coordinator one day. But who is the last offensive coordinator that went back to coaching offensive line? It rarely happens. Doug Marone, head coach to to O-line coach, is the only one I can think of. It doesn't happen often. So I think the knowledge of the interior, the knowledge up front, is just not something that a lot of guys who played receiver, played quarterback, are ever going to go get. Right. Whereas the O-line coaches are always looking to get coverage, routes, run game, blocking scheme, all of it. So, Well, especially think, you get those ex-centers who were watching safety rotation and were, were watching what the linebackers absolutely. were doing. Uh, you know, Ty Darlington, who played center at, at Oklahoma, got into coaching and specifically requested not working with the line. He wanted to branch out and right. wound up being the quarterback's GA at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. It was a pretty good education as a coach. There's no doubt. I'll give you another kind of, I mean, it's way down the ladder, but kind of along the same lines. When John Schlarman passed away at Kentucky, mm-hmm. Drake Jackson had been a four-year starter. Yep. And he basically acted as the offensive line coach. That's amazing. Because he knew it all. Yeah. So, and he played center, and that was a guy that he knows all the blocking schemes, the calls, the checks. He knows everybody's assignment. So, 
Yeah, I think it goes inside out, and because the offensive line coaches have a different – I always think most have a more magnetic personality. You just kind of have to you, – you can't make offensive line play fun very often. You, you can't do that, and here's the other thing. Offensive linemen, because they typically are not people who want the credit, the, the tricks that most coaches use in recruiting don't work on them. It's fair. Yeah. And, and so I think – like you look at Sam Pittman's personality – there's no BS with Sam Pittman. Nope. Like you, he is genuine as they come, and I would imagine that helps him as a recruiter, whether he's dealing with an offensive lineman or a wide receiver or a quarterback, because you know he's telling you the truth. Right. It just it just emanates from him. That's how that's who he is. And I, I think that's the same. I mean, you mentioned Mario a little bit earlier, but if it's Brent Key, if it's Alex Mirabal, if it's Eric Mateos, if it's I mean any all of those guys are really kind of mentally and emotionally yeah. cut from that same yeah. claw. Eric Mateos, I had a really interesting conversation with him. For those who don't know, he's Baylor's offensive line coach. Yeah, he's awesome. He's a superstar in the making. And he was talking about the psychology of offensive linemen, and, <laughs> and, and how, but not on the field, but in recruiting. He's like, you got to understand, these guys, when they start getting all this recruiting attention, it makes them turn inward. It makes them feel bad because right. this is the kid – who had to leave his shirt on in the pool at the at every birthday party since he was eight years old? God, that's good. I was that like, so I had never good. even thought of that. That is incredible. I'm so thankful for those uh, those sunscreen shirts. Oh yeah, yeah. The, you the, don't have to worry about the, that. The anymore. rash guard. Uh, yeah, you know, you're good. But I still have to wear that to cover up the fat rolls. So I'm like, yo, these things are like now we're really taking care of our skin. Do you remember really what it was like cool. in middle school when when guys would be like, let's play shirts versus skins, bro. No, we're good. And ba- yeah, like <laughs> I know, I know my, I know my other four teammates. Like the, we're good. The, uh, the, the things, the machinations I would go through to get on the shirts team. Right. Like I would just, I, I'd be like, oh, who's who's gonna be the captains? Okay, I'm a, who, who's shirts captain? Okay, all right. Um, hey, so listen, I, I, I know, I know he might, he might get me second, but. It, any any chance you could you could take me first? I know a- any I'm, chance. I'm with you, and that's why I just told you earlier. I didn't wrestle literally because I had to wear the singlet, and I'm like I'm too fat for that. Whether it was like just barely tucking the front of my shirt in to kind of hide the fat rolls, or understanding how to but find see, tall are, shirts to hide not, a little bit. You are not fat. Like you have you have slimmed down a little considerably since you I played. used to think I slimmed down, and then I see you and Brandon Marcello, and I'm like, wow, I got a long way to go. That's, yeah, but uh, here's the thing: like I am now small, and it is very strange being small like i weigh what a cornerback well not a corner but i weigh what a safety weighs <laughs> like that is weird you told me the other it day you want to get to 200 by the way i i don't think that's possible to me. i don't think it's possible keep a little bit well here's the thing if i get down to 200 i'm gonna take some pictures of of the of whatever the abs just, look like at right, that point and then and then just pack the next that 10 pounds or 15 Got pounds it. back on that's that's fine yeah because i then those pictures live forever just do the fighter weight cut. Yes. And, you know, like gallon, yeah. gallon, gallon, two gallons, no gallons, and then take the pictures the next day. Yeah, that, that, that's the way to do it. And, and, then, and then when somebody's like, oh, well, you know, you don't look like that walking around. I'm like, how do you know? You see me walking around a right picture now? picture of it. What else do you want? <laughs> Photographic evidence. That's all we need. Exactly. No, it's, it, it is strange, though, because when you've been bigger than most people your whole life, and then you become smaller. But I will say that's one thing being a walk-on offensive lineman helps with because, you know, you're, you're bigger than 95% of the population, but you are tiny in your meeting right. room. You are, you are the, the shrimp. I, I was the runt of the litter, essentially. So, Absolutely. 
and that's so that's weird. That gives you a complex. But that that psychology that he mentioned is so real. Yes, and and it's also. If it's a kid who's just playing offensive line in high school, like I was a defensive lineman, so I had a little bit of a different attitude. You know, I was more the, you know, wanted to be Bruce Smith. You were an actual good athlete. That's, that, that's what, that's <laughs> what you were. It's okay to say that. Compared to everybody else yeah. I was. But if you're just an offensive lineman, you're still, you're not getting a ton. Of, even in high school, you're not getting a ton of credit. Nobody's really talking about you. And, you're not, and the girls aren't coming yeah, over. No and they're not talking to you about nothing that. Nothing like that. So it's, um, that, that carries on. And, yes, I, can, uh, I could fully understand where – when you begin to get that attention, you kind of just crawl into your shell. You don't want it. Yeah. It makes you uncomfortable. And, you know, trying to siphle through that becomes a little bit of a difficult process. Yeah. And, and so after that conversation with Eric, I was like, oh, my God, I, I got to look at how these guys recruit completely differently. Yeah, that's now. really cool. And uh, but but that's the thing. You got some smart dudes playing, coaching the O-line. And so I, I'm glad just to see more of that represented in football media and I, and I think that it goes back to that mentality of an offensive lineman not getting credit doing the dirty work uh and then two i think working together yes um as an offensive lineman you know i know center's not going to be great without good guards tackle's right. not going to be great without good guards guards not going to be good without good tackle centers because you're not always by yourself right and if you don't understand how to work with synergy with harmony with chemistry with continuity it's usually not going to go. It's yeah. just not going to work. So an offensive line coach, I think, immediately just has it ingrained in him that we all have to work together. Yeah. I don't just have to tell the center he's great. I have to tell the guard, the tackle, the other guys. And then I have to tell them why other guys around all of us have to be great. And then I just think that little bit of humility that most offensive line coaches have, because you don't get a lot of that as a head coach, it involves more people. Yep. It makes more people feel important. And – I think too you just you lose a little bit of that ego. Yeah. Now, every coach has an ego. All of them. Yeah, you don't get there without it. No. And that's why everybody I love the whenever when people will say, Why would that guy take that job? Yeah. Well, because he thinks he can fix it. Yeah. Every coach thinks they can fix everything. That's who <laughs> they are. So, Cole, I can't let you get out of here without talking about your alma mater and the situation they're in because it I find this to be one of the most strange seasons that I can remember from an SEC school beforehand, just because I, I don't remember a school ever, and, and I say school, a, a group of people kneecapping a coach before a season like, like this, right. like, like Auburn did with, with Brian Harson. And like, if you're Brian Harson, how do you approach this season given everything that's happened? With my players, with the media, in not the media, with the, with the players. I like my thing is YOLO mode, us against the yep. world. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing you can do. It. Yeah, like. I think I go to my players and I say, "Listen, you guys know what I'm about. You guys know how I operate, and nothing that I do is going to change." Right. Just because one or two guys hasn't been able to come have breakfast or bourbon with me or I haven't gone to their lake house, or we hadn't had cigars, or he doesn't like the way I talk, I can't control that. Right. Out of my control, out of my hands. But I can help you win football games, and I can help you be a better football player, and I would like to do that. Um, now, I'll say this. Having said that, when all that went down, there was a self-assessment that, that needed to take place with Brian Harson. Right. Not top to bottom, not 80% of him, but a small amount, and I think he did that. Yeah. I think he looked in the mirror and said, all right, I probably don't need to ride my assistants as hard. Okay, I probably need to have more personal conversations with my guys. And like you know, that has become more important with college football coaches than ever before. Oh, yeah. 
Like you have to be transparent. You have to be relatable. You have to be personable, or guys are going to leave. Well, and that's out. what I, I, we, I mentioned Sam Pittman or of it. Sam Pittman, Shane Beamer, guys like that feel like they're built for this era. There's like hundred percent. You're not leaving their team because you enjoy playing for them. And think about the guys yeah. who we would say are not built for this era. Oh, yeah. Do you ever think that we all say, never thought Nick Saban would run spread, never thought Nick Saban would go up tempo, now, Nick Saban never, adapt, never thought Nick Saban would have lighter defensive linemen and yep. linebackers. Did we ever think Nick Saban, after losing a national championship game, would stop the beginning of a press conference to credit his players publicly, individual players, by the way, yeah, yeah. publicly, yeah. because he knew good and well, when we come back next year, you two are going to lead the way. Exactly. And I need more people to be like you. Yep. And also, I just want those turds to know the way you acted this year, it ain't going to happen next year. Exactly. So go ahead and get ready. We, he has adapted to become more of what we were describing initially. But if I'm Brian Harson, yeah, rally and cry. Yeah. I don't care what the administration says. I don't care what the booster says. I want to win games with you. You're my guys. Yeah. And I think you attack it. And my advice to him tomorrow when he shows up here or when he comes to media days would be, Face it head on. Hey, it happened. I don't know the people. I don't know why they did it. But honestly, I don't care about yeah. it. Yeah. Because I want to go win football games, and I'm going to coach my team, and that's where. And can he salvage it from a recruiting standpoint? That I that, don't. That I don't know yeah. because honestly, Andy, I don't know exactly where the recruiting needs to be for it to be right. I, because I do think that inside he is still sort of more of a developmental coach, right. and that's that's fine. I had yeah. a conversation with with Mark Stoops earlier. And I asked him, because I'm really interested in this, can you run a developmental program anymore? Because five years ago, that's what he told me his program was. We yeah. de- Josh Allen didn't have another offer. Right. And, and He was and from Andalusia, are, Alabama, I, moved to I, New Jersey, and they said, yep. oh, this kid's 6'6", 260, and can run, and he's flexible. Like, we'll find a spot for you. You know, but, Kenneth Horsey had, I think, two other yeah, like, they came in late G5 and, offers. Yeah, yeah. So I, he said that you can. But it's obviously going to have to be supplemented by high-profile recruits. And I was going to say, I watched Mark Stoops' recruiting, how it's evolved. I mean, the, the, the type of player they've been yep. able to sign has changed. Well, first thing he did, I think he was a little stubborn early on, and he said, no, we're SEC. we got to recruit SEC footprint. And after a couple of years, he was like, well, hold on. I'm a Youngstown guy. Yeah. Why am I not going oh, the, up there where I know everybody? That and pipeline he built Getting the tremendous. Lynn Bowdens and all these other guys yeah. to come down here and they can be successful. If Michigan and Ohio State don't want you, how many other Big Ten teams realistically can yeah. beat us right. when you're going to play And you in the can SEC? come and play in the SEC. Exactly. You can play against Alabama. You can play against LSU. Play against, yeah. So I, can, from, the, the, from the recruiting standpoint, I'll be honest, Andy, I don't know. I yeah. do think that some of the guys he's brought in, like Jimmy Brumbaugh, can help and yeah. are helping. Zach Etheridge can help, are helping. He's got a former Florida receiver, coach of receivers. That's he's right. doing really good things. I know he can from an X's and O's standpoint, from a development standpoint. But I will tell you, I'm not 100% certain on recruiting because that's a very complicated game right now. And well, especially when the two biggest rivals are, are doing it better than anybody. Two best recruiters. Yep. Who, and this is the part I think, this is where I think Auburn's administration may have, have messed up in the hiring process where you know, I, I'm sure he's selling his – his developmental skill and, and his evaluation skills, you can't out-evaluate and out-develop Nick Saban and Kirby Smart because no. while they are the two best recruiters, they're also among the best at developing yep. and, and evaluating. Jordan Davis was not a five-star recruit. It's wild to think about, but yeah. Right. Kirby Smart and his staff saw something in him and said, you need to come here. 
I mean, because Jordan Davis is probably going to be a North Carolina type player or a South Carolina type player. Yep. And they saw him and said, no, 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 you can be a first round draft pick. So, but I do think that he has made some adjustments with the staff and how he attacks recruiting. Um, and so he, he is adjusting. Yeah. And I think that's a real positive. So I think there's a chance he can get it right. But when you ask some people that question, their answer would be no, because I don't think he can do what Alabama and Georgia are doing. But if he can get it somewhat close and then use that development right. and then use his ability to coach, scheme, draw up game plans, I mean, we've seen – nobody thought they were going to be competitive in the Arkansas game, and they go blow them out. Look what they did in the Iron Bowl. I mean, right. who kicked ass and took names in the Iron Bowl for Auburn this year? Was the D-line? Was, Played was well at times, well. but it wasn't – like a Cam Newton went out there. No, and, it wasn't. You know, there it was wasn't 26 a star. 31 right. for 380 and four touchdowns. A lot of that was, you know, the scheme and what they drew right. up and what they, and now they executed it. Yeah. So you give him credit for that. But so he's proven. And if you look and at they what, had a good half against If you look Georgia. at what Georgia did in the national title game against Alabama, they, they copied a lot of what, what Auburn had done. So I think, yeah. I think they had that going for them, but it's the recruiting portion is going to be a very challenging road. There's no doubt. We'll be right back after these words. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's just it's amazing to me how much of a disconnect there was there in the first year because at Auburn it is so important. And, it, and recruiting has always been very yep. important at Auburn. It's always been something people talk about all the time. And, and the idea that you, you could do it without having the same kind of classes as Georgia and Alabama, I, I just don't think you can. No. It's, I mean, we all think A&M is really close. Right. And Jimbo's getting it there. That team won eight games last year. Exactly. exactly. It's like we sit there and say, oh, they're knocking on the door. They're knocking on the door. They were eight and four. Right. So there's just not – not only are they doing it at such a high level, there's just not many other people that can do it that way, and they damn sure can't replicate it that way. So that's a problem. Before I let you go, we got to talk about our first SEC Media Days meeting when I thought you were going to kick my ass. Do we know what year this was? I I don't remember what year. You were working in Huntsville. I was already at SI, so it, it's post-2008. and It had to be at least 9 or 10. Yeah, and, and you asked a question. of It must have been at least 12, because I think you asked a question of someone, and I responded to it on Twitter, because you were like, in my opinion, and you're, you're giving this, this you know, long diatribe to someone, and I'm like, Stop, don't say in my opinion. Just say your opinion. You're weakening your <laughs> argument. And, and you pulled me aside on Radio Row the next day, and you're like, you're like, I saw you tweeting about me. I'm like, oh, no. This is, this is going to be bad for me. That was um, – so that would have been before I went to the Swatsky class with ESPN. Oh, and that actually, guy's awesome. He's amazing. Um, I wish I could go to that class every offseason. He taught me how to ask questions. That was an invaluable course. I did not know how to ask questions back then, but it is hilarious that you bring that up because I see it here, and I see how people treat it here. I f- – Andy, that was my playing field. I felt like that room, this is wild to think back on it. 
But I felt like that was my only space to begin to try and even make a name for myself at all. I felt like no one knew who I was. Yeah. Most of the coaches didn't know who I was. I wasn't going to be around the coaches. And I was thinking, all right, I got one shot mm-hmm. to try to ask something, do something, be something that maybe someone will remember. Yep. And you were correct in what you said. I should, I should I never. I was a dick s- about it, but yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I should never start something I might be familiar with. But I should have never started a question with this is my opinion because essentially you're saying, like you said, you're discrediting yourself. But it's weird to think about what that was then for me yeah. because I, I used that as a proving ground. But you were new at that. You hadn't been doing it. And oh, no. That, that course, by the way. So this guy, uh, he's amazing. We, we, I did a, some journalism seminar at the Pointer Institute years and years ago where I got to take that class. Yeah. And it was life-changing. Unbelievable. In terms of like your career and uh, you learn how to avoid yes or no questions, which is an obvious thing, but he actually gives you some tips on how to do that yep. and, and how to make sure you don't ask two questions at once. No double barrel questions. Keep, keep the focus where it needs to be. And uh, the, some of it, some of it though, and this is a, my favorite Dave Aranda quote, common sense is not common. And <laughs> so true. much of what Swatsky teaches is common sense. The main thing is listen. Yes. And he would show like Barbara Walters, Oprah, Howard Stern, these what we view as, and they are great interviewers, and they're asking double barrel questions. Or they're asking a question and getting an amazing answer. And then he'll say, but they had their next one scripted. And then he'll play it. And you're like, how did you not follow up on what they just said? Like they just gave you a whole different direction to go. And all you have to do, all it does is awaken you to think about those things. And if you can think about them, then you have a chance to be pretty good. Well, the the Dave Aranda one's a great example. I did a podcast with him a few months ago. And that's one of those, if you came in with scripted questions, it was going to be, it was going to get weird because he is a samurai. He's such a smart guy. And, and so I kind of let him just take, take me where he was going. And it, I think it's the best podcast episode we've ever done. It was good. Because he's just so interesting. He is. And he is, uh, I call him the samurai for multiple reasons, mainly the demeanor. And we would sit down in coaches' meetings with him on Fridays before games. And you ask a question, and it's like, it feels like eight minutes before he answers it. Because he first off, he thinks. Right. And he doesn't care how long it takes. He gives you great answers. And then during his answers, he'll think of another answer, and then he'll give you that. But my favorite thing about Dave Aranda, next game you go to that he's coaching in, when the two teams are warming up, as you know, at the very end of warm-ups before a game, the teams come together, the right. offense goes against the defense, watch Dave Aranda. Okay. Because he will always be on the other side of the field. Interesting. Arms crossed, okay. staring at the opposition, and will not move. It's, his fir- it's, it's the best look you get at what they might do. Absolutely. That's wow. And I made the mistake the second game that I ever had with him of interrupting him while he was doing it. And I went up to ask him a question and he just went, (laughs) I was like, sorry, I get it. My bad. I didn't know that was your thing. I apologize. And I waited. And then we talked he goes, I didn't mean to blow you off. I just, I was trying to see if that tight end is going to play or how they're going to use him. Is he going to be in line? Is he going to come? I love, I love that. That's the answer he gave. Cause, cause most coaches would be like, get the F out of here. here. I'm busy. No, he apologized yeah. for doing it, man, but that, and that's also, his demeanor again. Near perfect recital of movie quotes. Oh, yeah. Like, not only does he remember the famous scene, he remembers the four or five paragraphs of dialogue before and after. 
Which is interesting because he has talked to us about being a visual learner. He's a big walkthrough guy. Like yeah. He's probably Jimbo times 20 <laughs> with the walkthroughs. But he had a big advantage at LSU because they had a walkthrough room. Right. And if you've never seen this, it actually is really cool. They have a room with turf, and the wall is essentially a video board that you can project that is life-size players. That's amazing. So you and I can stand here and look at a video screen of exactly what we're going to see on the field. Not the all 22 or the right. pit view. It's not a camera looking down. Yeah, you're looking at it's a right there visual representation of, of the guy who's going to be in right. front of you. I think you. the guys who created Madden helped them That's incredible. put this computer program together. And he would tell us, hey, we just got to go walk through. And if we can just see <laughs> how the tight end moves. And what I try to get is the quarterback's eyes. And when that guard pulls, if he opens all the way, we know we're going to come upfield and attack that. But if he doesn't, I tell my defensive end, don't crash down. Stay home. Play straight up. And that will give it away every time. And I'm thinking, how does this guy get intensity out of his players? But you love being around him. Yeah. He's just amazing to be around. And he knows what he does well. Absolutely. And lets some of those other, the Eric Mateoses of the yep. world, mm -hmm. provide the juice. And it's, listen, it's a formula that works. It, there's a reason they won the Big 12 last year. But, Absolutely. But, Cole, I, I am so happy. I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy that, I didn't kick your ass at media days. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I still think we would have become friends. But that that it's one of those things where, I, I look at this and, and you know, you, you can't say anything like this because you work for these networks, but, but I, look at, I look at how they hire and a lot of the ways they hire is, oh, this person was a really good player. People know their name. We're going to hire this person. And I always ask people, what do you remember about Kirk Herbstreet's Ohio State career? And they'll say, well, he was a quarterback. I'm like, yeah, you don't remember specific games or specific. You know why? Because Kirk Herbstreet was a pretty good college quarterback. Right. He's an all-star at talking yes. about football on television. And you didn't win the Outland Trophy. You were a very good college football player. Above average. Very good. Above average, yeah. <clears throat> but people didn't know who the center at Auburn was, for the most part, the, the, nope. the average viewer. Not even the year we went through six in 98. <laughs> exactly. Definitely didn't know it that year because there were so many you yeah, couldn't remember. Yeah. But, but you're great at talking about football on television. Thank and, you. and I'm glad – that that came through and somebody recognized that. But it's it, it, what you described is, is my path. I, I hate and I love when people say, tell me how you got where you are, because I immediately say, you don't have enough time for that. You <laughs> really don't. But SEC Network was launched. I wasn't a part of it. Right. Uh, I can remember going to, and this, see these memories come back at certain events. Andy, I can remember going to SEC Media Days in maybe it was 15, and I had auditioned against three guys for a studio job at the network. I was living in Decatur, Alabama at the time. We only had my daughter, and she was, I think, one. So this would have been six years ago. And Stephanie Drewley pulled me aside mm -hmm. first day, and she said, you didn't get it. And I was crushed, heartbroken. I thought my career was over. I was like, this is my only shot. And I didn't stay in Birmingham that night. I drove back. I was like, I want to be with my wife and daughter. This Listen, we're all mad we can't be do. as handsome as Chris Doring. I, I understand. It's fair. And so... Chris was one of the guys that got one of those jobs. I know he was. But there were two spots. And I won't go through the other guys that got them, but they're no longer with the SEC Network. But thankfully, Ed Placey called me the next day, and he said, hey, we're going to give you some games because Steve Ackles said that he wanted to use me, and they did, and it worked out. It's but there was no, hey, you come do this. Yeah. You know, I did a Mississippi State spring game, and they said, we're just going to leave your microphone open because Dan said he'll talk to you. And I was like, Awesome. And I literally said, 
I just got to go. I'm just putting my foot on the gas. I really don't care what anybody says. Because Dan said, just follow me around the whole time. Nice. And it was like every play, I was like, so coach, why, why did Dad get rid of the ball there? <laughs> every, I was like, I'm going to do something. Yes. Here. And after the game, the producer, he said, I'm calling Ackles, and I'm going to tell them that they need to do something with you. They need to hire you. And I was like, please, There do you it. go. Let's go. That's, so, yeah, that's it was a weird path, but you know, that's why it worked out the way it did, because of what you described. Well, I, I'm glad it did, and, and, and keep making sure the big guys We're going to try. Love. And yeah. I'll say this, too. It's definitely not just me. Aaron Taylor, yep. Jeff Schwartz, Mike Golick Jr., you know, Dave Harding was in the media for a little while. There, there are some other guys that have that have had a big hand in more people paying attention to the offense. I mean, the fact that Aaron created the Joe Moore Award has helped tremendously. Like, I, I, mean, I talked to Nick Broker the other day, and yeah, we know each other, but the first thing he said is, "Our goal this year is to win the Joe Moore Award." That's amazing. I'm just like, okay. and it's the only team like unit award in in college sports. Yep, Nick Saban will tell you that every time he talks about it. And the trophy weighs 1,500 pounds. It's heavy. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Heavy. Cole Kubelik, thanks so much. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to Cole Kubelik for joining us. That was a fun conversation. I do love talking about offensive line play, even if I am the size of a safety now. We got a big show for you on Monday. I, we we did the series of rewatchables. Well, I, actually, that's the ringer's term for this. We stole the concept from the ringer. Rewatch party is what we called it, where we watched... Some of the classic games in recent college football memory, you had the, the Texas-USC Rose Bowl uh, where Vince Young led the, the Longhorns to the national title. You had the Michigan State-Ohio State game in 2015. You had the Georgia-Alabama national title game that ended on the second and 26 to a tongue of Iloa to Devontae Smith pass. It was awesome. You guys loved it. You told me you loved it. You said you wanted more. And we were all set to give you more. We were going to tape an episode where Mitch Sherman, Max Olson, and I rewatched the 2009 Texas-Nebraska Big 12 Championship game. That was the one that Indomitian Sioux completely dominated, the one where they put an extra second back on the clock at the end to let Texas kick a field goal. It was one of the more controversial games I can remember covering. And we were all three of us at, at the game. So we were all set to relive that game. And then about an hour before we were going to record that podcast, it leaked that USC and UCLA were going to the Big Ten. And so we had to talk about that for a little while. But we have recorded that show now, and it will be in your feed on Monday. It's fantastic. A great trip down memory lane. Some fantastic Brent Musburger commentary during the game. And Mitch and Max just add so much texture to it and context and layers because so much has happened with Nebraska, with Texas since then. And we, we put it all in context for you. It's a great show. I had an incredible time recording it, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. So get ready for that on Monday. Have a great weekend.